Good morning. I am so excited to have the opportunity to share with you today what God has continued to do at UNH and the ways that he's been speaking to me in this season. Um, For the past two years, I've worked part-time with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship while completing my graduate degree in social work. And this year, much of my work was centered on working with fellow graduate students in the social work department. I coordinated a bi-weekly soul care group um, in addition to discipling a few undergraduate women, and we'll talk more about that in a little while. But I loved having the space to work with both undergraduate and graduate students on campus, to walk alongside students as they journeyed through these transitions and some of their greatest developmental milestones into adulthood. Um, I recently graduated with my MSW and I'm stepping into more of a volunteer capacity with InterVarsity to pursue a role working with children and families full-time. I have a background in child behavioral um, support and child welfare in addition to my time in campus ministry. So InterVarsity has had a foundational impact on my life and I plan to continue volunteering in this coming season. So I wanna share with you about InterVarsity, about the students that I work with, um, and something that I bump up against quite a bit in my work with students and with children and families. And something I think we've all experienced personally, those scars and weaknesses that show up. Um, In these last two years, I've learned more about what it means to be human than I ever could have imagined. And I'm beginning to gain a greater understanding about what it means to bear one another's burdens. So what do we do with our scars as members of God's kingdom? How is our brokenness part of our story while also recognizing that it's not the whole of it? And how can we encourage others through vulnerability and honesty about our less than ideal characteristics and experiences? So I wanted to talk a little bit about the University of New Hampshire as well. You can see up there um, that kind of student population statistic. We have over 13,000 undergraduate and graduate students on campus. So it's kind of its own little community. Um, Statistics show that almost all of the first year students live on campus and become part of that community. These young adults come to campus excited for all of the different opportunities that lay ahead of them, and many find themselves seeking an understanding of where they belong, not only on campus, but in the world. And oftentimes they look to their strengths, interests, and experiences for direction, and may try to hide their areas of weakness and scars as they seek to shape their developing sense of self. Now I want to ask you a reflective question. Pastor Jeff had us write down one of our gifts or strengths a few weeks ago to consider how we might use that to serve. Now, I want you to consider now your greatest weakness because God can use that too. This can be defined broadly as something you struggle with, maybe you have a hard time trusting because you've been hurt, or maybe sitting quietly is a challenge for you, or you have a really hard time being patient with that person that is just the world's most difficult person to be patient with. Those are just a couple of mine, but go ahead, take a moment and think about that. Um, And then hold on to it. We're going to come back to it later. St. Isaac the Syrian once said, Blessed is the man who knows his own weakness, because awareness of this becomes the foundation and beginning of all that is good and beautiful. So we start there today. In this awareness of our own weakness and human inability, not to sit in shame, but to recognize that awareness of this is the beginning of all that is good and beautiful our shortcomings held in tension with the reality of God's grace and redemptive power. 
Now, Paul also talked openly about the importance of recognizing personal weakness. In fact, he goes further to say that he will boast in his weakness, and that weakness serves a purpose. Let's look to 2 Corinthians 12 together. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, so that Christ's power, uh, let's see, uh, sorry. <laughs> Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly say what his thorn is. It could be a physical pain. However, it could also be an emotional or psychological struggle. Maybe it was a battle against his transition into living and walking out his faith. But whatever it is, we know that Paul pleads with God to remove it. And God reminds him, through his thorn, where his strength comes from. In her book, Prayer in the Night, Tish Harrison Warren tells the story of when she and a friend from college went to visit their pastor, and her friend discloses their deepest sin struggle. Fully expecting to be condemned, they were surprised to hear the pastor say, we need you in our church not in spite of your struggle, but because of it. Warren goes on to say how the pastor reminded them that her friend's recognition and consistent effort to turn from sin toward God was an example for others in the church body, a living testimony of God's redemptive work in their life. This is a crucial reminder for those of us who wrestle with our weaknesses. Each of you in our congregation are needed as members of our church body. You aren't God's pity pick. You're intentionally chosen and beloved, created on purpose, for a purpose. I believe it's incredibly important that we remember that especially when we're staring our weaknesses in the face. I don't know about you, but for me, it's easy to come up with excuses for God to overlook and choose someone else. If there are prerequisites for being used by the kingdom or for walking through the sanctuary doors on a Sunday morning, then I'm the first one who should be walking out. When I stare only at my weaknesses and brokenness, I lose sight of the one who chose me first. Moses struggled with this when he was called. He was so busy looking at his flaws and weaknesses that he begged God on more than one occasion to choose someone else. But Moses said, no, Lord, don't send me. I have never been a good speaker, and I haven't become one since you began to speak to me. I'm a poor speaker, slow and hesitant. The Lord said to him, who gives man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or dumb? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? It is I, the Lord. Now go, I will help you speak, and I will tell you what to say. Moses was so caught up in talking about who he was and what he was not good at that he missed who God was. Now we know that Moses moves from doubting himself to doubting God, and he really struggles to see past his own imperfections. And God, as patient and compassionate as he is, sends his brother with him, with the promise that he will be with them. How easy is it for us to get caught up in our own insecurity and shame regarding our weaknesses? And like Moses, we can become paralyzed, feet cemented to the ground while Jesus is beckoning us to follow him. 
Author Anne Voskamp reminds us how God sees us in the moments we can't see past our shortcomings. She says, our weakness can be a container for God's glory. Hannah tasted salty tears of infertility. Elijah howled for God to take his life. David asked a thousand times why his soul was so downcast. The thing is, God does great things through the greatly wounded. God sees the broken as the best, and he sees the best in the broken, and he calls the wounded to be world changers. Never be afraid of being a broken thing. So if our brokenness and weakness are vessels for God's glory, why do we shy away from being open with others? During my time with InterVarsity and in the social work department, I often found myself focusing on my weaknesses, the things I'm not good at or the areas I've fallen short. And trust me, there's a laundry list. But Rick Warren gives us an important reminder when he says, people are always more encouraged when we share how God's grace helped us in weakness than when we brag about our strengths. Reading this quote reminded me of the soul care group I facilitated this year for graduate social work students. The goal was to create a space for students to find rest and a deeper understanding of self-care beyond culture's definition of facials, frivolous buying, and sharing your truth. Session activities included a five-minute free write exercise to create a pause in the day to release, release distressing thoughts, recognizing the impacts of beauty and pain on the soul, and writing a daily prayer or meditation. This group was born out of my own experience with compassion fatigue and secondary traumatic stress from my work. Earlier in my time in ministry and social work, I likely wouldn't have been transparent with my colleagues about my own burnout reduction work. It felt vulnerable, compromising even. But I noticed a shift when I shared with them the ways prayer had helped me process and release some of the heavy burden I often tried to shoulder when walking along those in hurting places. There was a different level of openness and a natural flow of giving and receiving in these groups. They engaged in the practices and became open to hearing stories of how my engagement in Christian practices helped me in my own weakness and vulnerability. And I believe God extended in those moments an opportunity to plant seeds through my vulnerability that he can later grow in his strength. I wonder what would happen if we could courageously be more open and transparent about our weaknesses as a community. Working with undergraduate and graduate students, as long with being one over the last two years, has taught me something and shifted the way I present myself in relationships. 20-somethings crave something and someone real in a world full of artificial intelligence, bioengineered food, and social media influencers. I used to share the victories in my testimony, and I still do. But I also now recognize that almost more so, my areas of weakness are an opportunity for Christ to shine as the strength in my story. And hiding those pieces of my story only push others away deeper into their shame and questioning if Jesus could ever love someone like them. Well, as someone like them, who am I not to share the good news that he already does? Sometimes our weaknesses are things we're not the strongest in or places we experience difficulty with living out our faith. But sometimes our areas of weakness are contributed to by the pain and adversity of everyday life. And even when we've healed or started to heal, we still bear a scar. A parent that left, that job you suddenly lost, that relationship that fell apart, that mistake you made that you can't seem to forgive yourself for. 
and the list goes on. Scars. Sometimes they result from things done to us or things we've done. And they seem to linger for months or years after the initial event. And you wonder, and maybe even pray, that God would take them away. But if you have scars today, you're in good company. Following his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus had scars, several scars. And some may have looked at them as a sign of one of the greatest betrayals of all time. But let's see what Jesus did with his scars in John 20. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus used his scars to deal with Thomas's doubt. He saw his scars as a sign of victory over the darkness, a symbol of God's promise of redemption and healing work for the world. Jesus' scars are a reminder that our weakness and wounds were nailed to the cross, finding grace and strength in his sacrifice. In her book, An Extra Mile, Sharon Garlow Brown tells the story of a young boy who says to his father, if you take away my scar, you take away my story. What story would you lose if your scar was gone? How can we use our scars to meet others in their doubts and questions? How can we show them the goodness and redemptive work of God for a hurting and broken world, for a generation that seemingly, no matter where they look, find reasons to feel hopeless, and to whom scars would be a sign of healing, victory, and hope that healing is possible for them in their own wounded state? Or in the words of Louis Giglio, our scars are a witness to the world. They are a part of our story, and healed wounds are a symbol that God has restored us. This world needs restoration. Our young people need to know the reality of God's restorative work in the world, and they need to know the story of God's restorative work in the lives of his people. Pastor Adrian Rogers said, a scar is a wound that has healed. We need to bring our wounds to Jesus, let him heal them, and use our scars for Jesus. Our scars may be our greatest ministry. So as I wrap up, I want us to reflect on a couple of questions to ponder as we leave our time together today. Where have you been staring at your weakness instead of at God's strength, love, and grace? How might God use your scars to encourage others if you are courageous enough to be open about them? And what strength or gifting are you missing because you're staring at your area of weakness? Let us ponder how God sees the best in the broken and calls the wounded to be world changers. I'm gonna show some photos from my time with InterVarsity this year, some of the activities and opportunities we've had to engage in community. So the first two photos that you're seeing up there now are from our Urbana Missions Conference held in Indianapolis in December. I had the opportunity there to work as a next steps coach. You can see our team in the photo on your right. Those are all of our next step coaches. And on the left is a photo of our New England region students who traveled down for the event. Over three days, we coached close to 
300 students. And the image um, with our students is about probably close to 100 New England students that traveled down with us. So next up coaches were tasked with journeying alongside students in what can be an exciting and overwhelming influx of information um, to discern a simple step where the, you know, to determine where God might be calling them next as they engage in conference sessions, uh, small groups, um, and personal prayer. During those sessions, we often bumped up against students' fears and concerns for weaknesses as they discerned these opportunities. Many of them felt God's call, but felt like they weren't capable of pursuing that call. So in the Next Steps coaching room, we had the opportunity to sit with them and work through that discernment process and consider what are those fears, those scars and weaknesses that are keeping you cemented in place? And what could you do to address those? What might you need to let God do to address those? The next slide is gonna have a collage of photos. Um, that's a glimpse into some of our ministry activities and outreach events that InterVarsity facilitated this year. The photos on your far right are beloved bags that were given to social work students and faculty for Social Work Appreciation Month and as encouragement through uh, the final projects prior to graduation. The tumbler in this bottom left photo was also included in the beloved bags for students that were graduating. These bags were an opportunity to extend love to students in a time when they were experiencing a lot of stress and maybe even some personal discontent as they balanced life circumstances and, and high influx of academic workload. The top photo is an advent calendar put together by both our Soul Care grad school group and some undergraduate students where they could intentionally take time to reflect on scripture in the midst of the semester as we led up to the days uh, before Christmas. The bottom middle photo and top left photo are from a graduate retreat that was held at Tewinope, um Retreat Center in Ringe, New Hampshire. Um, and we had graduate students from InterVarsity in the New England region, as well as students who were members of the Black Scholars and Professionals organization who came out for that retreat. Now the theme of the retreat was restoration, and it was opportunity for students to sit and reflect on where they might be needing restoration in their own lives or where they may need to see it on campus and to pray into that. The top left photo is a art that's called Kintsuki art. And it's the art of mending with gold. So students had the opportunity to break a piece of pottery and mend it back together as a symbol of God's restoration and that the cracks would still be visible, but that the object, the bowl or cup, was still useful, and that the wounds or the cracks didn't need to be covered, but they're considered beautiful in that culture. This year taught me that sharing my humanity and need for grace with others levels the playing field and builds bridges of curiosity and trust. This final photo for me was a sign of God's redemptive work in my life and in the department at UNH. This is a photo of myself and some of my colleagues on the next slide here. There we go. Outside in the field next to the church. Our hooding celebration was held here 
where we gathered to participate in the online ceremony and share a meal to commemorate finishing our graduate program. God spoke to me early on in my graduate program and humbled me. And I never would have thought that we would end our program celebrating graduation within the walls of a church. I wonder what would happen if we could share our humanity and need for grace with others and invite them into community. Thank you so much for having me share. Um, you'll see my contact information up on the screen. I'd love to connect with you, so please don't hesitate to reach out. I wanted to invite you as well into a couple of opportunities um, for a partnership, one of those being praying for our students and staff team on campus. And another opportunity we have up there is our giving link to financially partner with the InterVarsity chapter at UNH. I know some ministry partners are here who support my work, so I want to thank you for making all of these stories and uh, some that weren't shared about today possible. Um, I'm so grateful for that partnership and the ways that God is working and moving in students' lives. As I step into more of a volunteer capacity, these funds that are donated will go into our general UNH connect account, which will support continuing that soul care group that met biweekly for graduate students, as well as supporting the biweekly meetings with undergraduate women for discipleship. So if you have any questions about partnership or would like to hear more, find me after service or reach out to me via email and we can definitely find a time I can sit down and connect with you a little bit more. So the worship team is gonna come now and we're gonna sing Graves into Gardens. And as we sing, remember that we are loved beyond measure by a God who takes what appears to be dead when all we see is brokenness and signs of lost battles and creates with it life beyond our greatest imaginations. Thank you.